for decades. He's been the king of Memphis. It's good to be king of your own little town. You want to see the king? You think anybody would pay to come down and see a sawed-off runt, bug-eyed Bill Dundee? No, they come to see me, baby. King of them all, right here it is, baby. The greatest wrestler that ever lived and ever will step into a ring. You're looking at him, and I am the champion. And you may be familiar with his work in WWE, too. I'll show you who the real king of the World Wrestling Federation is. It's the most electrifying move. It's Mark's entertainment today. Oh, the people that won. For 50 years, he's been known all over the world as one of wrestling's biggest stars. And now, he's decided to share all of his favorite stories from his 50 years in wrestling with you. Tell me a story. Why don't you put your false teeth in backward and eat yourself to death? (laughs) Oh, that's one of my favorites. This is the Jerry Lawler Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Jerry Lawler Show. I am so excited. We have a super special show this week that you are going to love. Uh, As always, you can follow The King on Twitter, at Jerry Lawler. You can follow the show, at Lawler Show. Same for Instagram. But we want to hop into it this week with our special guest, King. Can you provide us with the introduction? Well, I'll do my best. Uh, Like you said, Sean, I am so excited about this podcast today. Uh, The biggest thing, without a doubt, the biggest thing that ever happened to me, not maybe just in my wrestling career, but in my in my entire life was my uh, gosh, I don't even know what you adventures. I'm going to call them adventures, my adventures in life with with Andy Kaufman. I mean, everybody uh, still it's been it's been like 35 years and I can't go anywhere Almost every single day, somebody will come up to me and mention the match or the Letterman show with Andy Kaufman. It made such an indelible mark on my career and, and, and on the, on professional wrestling in general. I mean, and, and wrestling going to Hollywood, uh, and becoming sports entertainment. Andy Kaufman was a huge, huge part of that. And so today, as our special guest, uh, I, I don't even know how this happened. I, I really don't. How I, I'm so fortunate. I haven't spoken to this young man. I don't think in almost 20 years since we, since the time we did the movie Man on the Moon uh, about Andy's life. But we have as our special guest on the line right now with us the brother of Andy Kaufman, Michael Kaufman. Michael, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Jerry. Thank you. And uh, I love hearing you speak. Um, you know, it was big for you. It was just as big for Andy. And, and it was Andy loved his adventures with you so much. <laughs> he never cashed any checks. There were five checks that my father found when he died. He never cashed them because it, it would have taken away the purity and, and the pure joy of it, uh, of, of all that he did with you. Um, and so, uh, so it was, it was huge for him too. Well, let as a matter me, of fact, let me, let's see if we can, I've, I've told people this over the years and I, I don't know, uh, because I didn't, I mean, I got a chance to be uh, what I thought was fairly close to Andy and become good friends with Andy over the weeks and months and almost a year that we, that we got to work together and everything. But I didn't, I never really, I, I he did sort of tell me a little bit about his, his, childhood and his background and apparently 
you know, I guess you guys were wrestling fans growing up, and and that actually had an influence on Andy's whole life, didn't it? Wrestling did, didn't it? Yes, it did. Um, you know, um, I happen to have in front of me Andy's idol was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Yep. Uh, champion, world heavyweight champion from 1961 to 1963, I believe. Um, in 1981, so this is like three years before Andy died, Andy wrote a short story called Golden Boy. And it's the story about Buddy, it's a story about his, his story about Buddy Rogers and how Andy became interested in wrestling. Would you like me to read a little bit of it too? Oh my gosh, absolutely! I've not, I've never heard of, I've never heard about this. I knew he was a so huge fan, but I didn't know he wrote the story. As a matter of fact, Buddy Rogers was Andy's manager on Saturday Night Live um, when there was a wrestle off. The, the whole country uh, had a, a tournament where the winner of this uh, wrestling tournament would wrestle Andy on Saturday Night Live, and Buddy Rogers was Andy's manager that night. On TV, you can see it, you know, on on SNL repeats. Anyway, so here here's this. So remember, these are Andy's words. This is Andy. He wrote it on January fifteenth, nineteen eighty one, at 2:08 a.m. in the morning on Green Valley Road. That's where he was living. Andy would date everything he did. His, his you know, every time he wrote. So here we go. Golden Boy. I remember the first time I ever saw the Golden Boy. It was on a local television show in which he was wrestling for the undisputed championship of the world. I had been turning channels looking for something suitable for my little brother and myself to watch while my parents were away for the evening. I was, it was past our bedtime, but the babysitter was on the phone with someone, I think her boyfriend, so we stayed up and watched TV. As we turned the dial, we stopped at each show that was on, watched it for a few seconds, and then changed to another one. When we came upon the wrestling show, we sat there. And by the way, this is about 1955, 56 at latest. Yeah. Um, wrestling had not been on TV for long at this point. Uh, anyway, so we found that uh, um, when we came upon the wrestling show, we sat there mesmerized and watched the whole thing as Golden Boy kicked and choked and cheated his way into the championship behind the referee's back. After he won, he strutted around the ring with his newly won crown and flexed his muscles as the crowd booed. That night, my brother and I became addicted. Now, that's just the beginning. If you want me to go on or, or, or spread it out or, you know, okay, just, good. Just let me know. Could you read another couple paragraphs? I'm, I'm just sure, I'm mesmerized sure. by this. Uh, the whole thing is tremendous. And, and, and to get, you know, 36 years after Andy died to hear his words, for the first time, you know, must be uh, great. It's great for me to read it. All right. For the next two years, Golden Boy remained champ. He would use every trick in the book to win his matches. And when he couldn't win, he would purposely get disqualified so that he didn't lose a championship because the rules stated that a title could not change hands on a disqualification. The public hated him and hoped for the day when he would lose. However, my brother and I got caught up in the, in the man's charisma and became avid fans of his. Sometimes he had a manager who interfered in the matches, stabbing the opponents with his cane if they were um, besting this, this champion. We loved watching this, man this manager brag obnoxiously during interviews as Golden Boy nodded his head in agreement, flexed his muscles, and said intermittently, that's right, Daddy, 
one time he was supposed to jump from the top rope onto the stomach of Rick Davis. Is Rick Davis, is that, uh, is that real? Because I, I remember there was Pepper Gomez. Um, I don't know if anyone knows Rick Davis. But anyway, he's supposed to jump on the stomach of Rick Davis, the man who claimed to have a cast iron stomach. Davis claimed that nothing, including Golden Boy's famous knee drop from the top rope, could penetrate or hurt his cast iron stomach. Golden Boy claimed he would be able to hurt Davis, and as he climbed to the top rope, the tension, the tension, the moment, and the moment Golden Boy jumped down, landing his knee directly on the windpipe of Davis's neck. Wow! Yeah. Davis. Davis started flailing his legs in pain while Golden Boy strutted around the ring as the announcer expressed disgust at the display of the betrayal. Then Golden Boy and his manager both attacked the fallen man, and he and he had to be carried out on the stretcher, which Golden Boy repeatedly kicked kicked over as the medics tried to carry him out. When <laughs> Davis recovered a few weeks later, he swore he would get even with in a grudge match held at. Madison Square Garden untelevised. We wished we could go, but had to resign ourselves to just hearing the results of um, of the TV match because of our young age. Um, and, and that's that's the first half. So, yeah, that, do you want me to continue? Do you want me to come back later, or just if you had enough? Yeah, maybe no. <laughs> no, I would never get enough of this. It is amazing. You know, I think I'm, I'm, you you obviously have have studied uh, a little bit about it too. That probably was Pepper Gomez. I remember reading about I'm sorry, Pepper Gomez, yes. yes. Yeah, I remember reading about that in the magazines where uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers jumped on the throat of the the man with the cast iron stomach. But that's amazing that Andy wrote that in 1981, and it happened back in, like you say, uh, gosh, in the 50s or 60s or something, when in his yeah. childhood. Yeah. Well, when when you when after the after you guys start, did you start watching wrestling sort of uh, on a regular basis after that? Were your parents cool with that, or how how did that go? Do you remember that as a kid? I'm gonna have to try my best to remember it. I know it was more Andy than me, and as a matter of fact, uh, you know, don't tell Andy this, but I kind of <laughs> like the good guy. <laughs> yeah. And, Andy thinks I was in cahoots with him in, in liking the bad guy, but I really I liked Pepper Gomez. Um, and, and by the way, Killer Kowalski also did something to Pepper Gomez, where he was supposed to get him in the claw hole, but he did something to uh, to cheat. Anyway, um, so but Andy from then that that was the beginning. When Andy said he was addicted, that was it. That was the that it it um. What can I say? You know, uh, I, I don't I think there's anything ever bigger than, than wrestling for him. Yeah, and when I when I hear you reading Andy's actual words, and I hear him describing uh, how how Nature Boy Buddy Rogers would, he said he you know he would strut around the ring, you know, relishing his his victory and everything. It just reminds me so much of of uh, Tony Clifton. You know, the the I mean that in reality. That was Andy creating a bad guy wrestler, what recreating that, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, that you could see Tony Clifton. You could also also when you see Andy strut around after beating a woman. Um, I believe that was from Buddy Rogers. Oh, That's oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt, I know that. I mean, once once Andy started the wrestling, that, that was. I mean, he was always imitating 
Buddy Rogers. But I think I think that I think that the wrestling influence was there before he even started doing the the wrestling the women. I think that it just in Andy's act and and creating the the you know the Tony Clifton character was him wanting to be a heel, wanting to be the bad guy uh, in, yeah. in in show business. Yeah. And by the way, the Tony Clifton character started very early. You know, right. may not have gotten the press until maybe Carnegie Hall or something, but he had, he was doing that, you know, in the mid-70s. Yeah, I just I just always felt, and I, I, I feel like Andy uh, had, had told me at one time that, that you know, when, when he was performing, he, he you know, you, you know this, he never would... He didn't like being called a comedian, said he never told a joke in his life. But and and he would he enjoyed make I think he enjoyed making the audience almost uncomfortable, like a bad guy wrestler, like a heel wrestler would do, uh, rather than rather than making them laugh or or, or or enjoy themselves. I just think that was something that was ingrained in Andy over the years. And and, and that's why part of the thing I, I don't think he really liked being a lot good. I don't think it was like it enjoyed being part of uh, sitcoms and all of that. Did, did he ever express that to you? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, going further with what you said, as long as he got gut reactions from the audience, he didn't care if they were happy, sad, angry, as long as he, got, he didn't like the, the uh, Broadway show where you, you have the people, the polite people applauding in, in their seats. Um, he wanted to, to get to your gut, and um, and that's what wrestling did for him, and that's what he wanted to then give to the give to audiences. Now, tell me a little bit about about your background. You guys grew up in Long Island, New York. Yes, Not, we, we were about um, let's see, thirty five miles from uh, Comac Arena. Oh, awesome! And how much? <laughs> How much older was Andy? How much older was Two years older. Oh, well, you guys were close. I had a I had a brother that was four years older than me, and we were. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were we were close, but it wasn't one of those things. I mean, he was he was always a little bit ahead of me on in the things that he liked and disliked. But you guys, only two years apart, you were you were pretty close. When did when did Andy first start? You know, getting interested in how did you know that he was wanted to be in show business. Well, you could say the early signs were there when he started entertaining at children's birthday parties at the age of nine. <laughs> uh, he'd get paid $5 for two hours. And <laughs> so there's, there's something right there. Um, then he started advertising in the local penny saver. And, you know, the amount kept going, the amount kept going up. And the duration kept going down, where he was finally getting, you know, uh, $25 for 45 minutes. And, uh, and what kind of show, and, would he, what, what kind of show would he put on? Did you see these shows? Um, you know, I don't think I ever went to a birthday party, but I could tell you that, uh, Grandpa Paul, that's maternal grandfather, had a 16 millimeter projector, which, you know, in the mid 50s, that was unheard of. Oh, yeah. It had sound. So Andy would play movies. Um, he also had taken guitar lessons enough that he could play musical chairs. Um, let's see. Movies, musical chairs. That's probably a, a big chunk of it right there. 
and yeah. um, and, and and other games. Um, he didn't he didn't know magic, uh, so I'm not sure what other kind of games there were. But but I know those two things. Uh, um, he had a limited movie, uh, you know, inventory of movies that, that Grandpa Paul gave him, um, and uh, and and so that, that was that was the first time. Well, how did how did it come about that? I mean, wh- what was your reaction, and and how did he break the news to you guys that? Hey, I'm 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 going to go to Hollywood and try to be famous. Well, it started in New York. It actually started um, uh, after taking a year off after graduating high school. He went to Graham Junior College in Boston, and at Graham Junior College had his own TV show, The Uncle oh. Andy Funhouse. The Uncle Andy Funhouse, and uh, we actually have two of the shows um, that we were able to. Uh, Restore um, that, that can be seen on video. Um, it's private; it, it hasn't been released or anything, but but it exists, which is great to see young Andy perform. You know, we're talking about twenty-year-old Andy. Anyway, so Graham is where it started, and after Graham, um, he comes back to New York, um, and the big thing was performing at the Improv in New York City and Catch a Rising Star, uh. and. And it, at some point, Bud Friedman um, gets divorced and moves out to Los Angeles and opens up the improv in Los Angeles. And he paid for Andy to come out in 1977, I believe it was, uh, just to help him open. Open, he, you know, he he loved Andy. Um, and Andy, the rumor is that Andy was the only one who Bud ever loved. You know, he's always honorary to everybody, but he loved Andy. And, yeah. and and you could you could see it in the way he talks about Andy. Anyway, so Andy helped open up the uh, improv. You know, he'd already been great in New York to get this offer from Bud. Um, he was on SNL already, uh, you know, several times. And now Bud takes him out to California, and in California, he meets um, basically George Shapiro, who became his manager. Right. Um, and George gets him involved with taxi and, uh, you know, only call happens and all that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Jerry Lawler Show. Let's fast forward on to once Andy started wrestling. He wrestled women. He was on, gosh, Murph Griffin's show, Wrestling Women. He was on Saturday Night Live, Wrestling Women and everything. And then, of course, that led into the fact that, uh, were you familiar with how Andy approached or went to see Vince McMahon at a, at a show and, and, and tried to convince uh, Mr. McMahon Sr., Vince Sr., uh, that he wanted to be uh, or wanted to wrestle at an actual wrestling event? No, I, I, I've only heard about it, um, and um, I'm sh- I think you probably know more about it, and I think Bill Apter is the yep. other one who would probably know more about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm probably not the one to comment on it. Okay, but then that well then then that led to the fact that uh, I, I guess he sort of got turned down by Vince Senior. 
because he's and, and understandably at that time it was it was unheard of so to speak to have somebody from the outside somebody from Hollywood or show business get involved with wrestling because our fans were so skeptical at the time and that's exactly what Vince uh, senior told Andy he said I'm just hesitant to involve a Hollywood actor um, with with our wrestling now because of the fact that uh, you know he just didn't want the people to think that that the wrestlers were actors as well. So it was understandable. But thank goodness Bill Apter was there and, and on hand at this meeting. And Bill was, I guess, had known Andy or was a friend of Andy's. And he, he told Andy about our wrestling show and our company down in Tennessee. And Andy called us and got in touch with us. And, and at the time, all we want, all he wanted to do was come down and wrestle some women out of the audience as he had been doing in front of wrestling fans. And, and, and that's all we thought it was going to involve. And that's what happened at first. And it worked out fantastic. And Ants, and Lance, um, Lance Russell, you know, he, he did some interviews with Andy and, 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 uh, Andy played the bad guy. He played, I think he did exactly what Nature Boy Buddy Rogers had done in the past. And the people in Memphis just despised him. They hated him. So, um, So it, it worked out fine, and he came back several times, and then finally that led to where I went to Andy, and I said, Andy, you've gone just about as far as you can go with wrestling women. I said, what you need to do is you need to have a match with a man. You need to, you, you, you and I need to have a match. And, of course, I was kind of the top guy in Memphis at the time. I was, in actuality, Michael, I just wanted to get the rub off this big Hollywood TV star, right? Oh, and okay. so that, that's, that's how our match came about, and it, and did you did you hear that we were going to have the match before it actually happened, or did you hear not hear anything about it until actually we had the match? I'll answer that second. I just want to say, as much as you wanted to get the Hollywood rub to Andy, it was like, wow, Jerry the King Lawler. Oh God, yeah, he he was getting it from you. Whatever you're feeling, he was feeling the same thing. Um, and you, know, but, I, you, know, but, you know what, Michael? That that may be so, but neither one of us ever told each other that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, I imagine that happens today with um, entertainers and athletes. They're probably each in awe of each other. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. At least I, I know it certainly happens in my case all the time. I mean, uh, right. I, I, I'll, I'll meet somebody that I'm a huge fan of, and 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 don't really uh, want to admit it to their face or whatever, but then I'm always shocked and in awe of the fact that they even know who I am or something like that. So that's, that's probably the way that, that went down with Andy and I. But, yeah, I just, I, I just couldn't believe that I was uh, getting to do something with this guy that's on the, the, on the top-rated television show in all of the nation on, on right. Taxi every week. So now to answer your question, um, the first time Andy ever went to Memphis, do you remember who picked him up at the airport? No, I don't. It was you. I was with Andy. Andy and I flew down from Chicago. I don't know. We were visiting our sister for some reason, um, and we flew down. It was, it was the it was the time that he wrestled the five women, you know, including um, oh, I forget her name. Her name's escaping me. You, you know, the one who uh, who we had the Foxy. Foxy. Yeah, Foxy. Yes. So. Um, it was five or six women that night. Um, anyway, um, I was with Andy. You picked us up at the airport. And so I was there for the beginning of it. Wow. Now, 
did I know in advance what was going to happen? Because that was the only time I went down. Um, I have a feeling that I was just good with, I was just intuitive with whatever was going on. So Andy didn't have to tell me anything. I just would shake my head. Yes, of course, this is what's next. You know, it's like, yeah, this is, this would be likely for it to happen next. I'm not surprised. Um, but Andy didn't, um, you know, Andy was a meditator, transcendental meditation. Oh, no. They tell you, you he did it twice a day for, you know, for, um, 15 years, you know, until he died. Well, a couple of months before he died, he couldn't do it anymore. But anyway, they tell you not to tell anyone else your mantra. If you do, it'll weaken the effect. Well, I believe Andy carried that out in life, that if he was to tell me, what he was going to do with you, it would weaken the whole thing. It was better just to keep it in and, and just let it, let it happen, let it develop, and, and, and probably let it be more spontaneous, appear more spontaneous. Well, that was, that was the great thing about being around Andy uh, and, and, of course, then basically working with Andy, even in the ring, even finally as, as far as all this went. Uh, you, you talked about meditating. I can't tell you about the, the fact that a couple of different times, you know, it, it came time for his match and they're ring, like ringing the bell and Andy was off <laughs> in another room and he was meditating and I'm, I'm going, I'm pulling my hair out going, Oh my gosh, somebody knock on the door, get him out there. They're, you know, it's time for his match. But I mean, you're right. He, he, that was a, that was a ritual of his and he didn't, he didn't ever uh, uh, deviate from that. But the, the great thing about Andy and I, uh, and probably one of the reasons he didn't tell you about what was going to happen was we, and then a lot of people probably won't believe this, but either of us, we really didn't know what was going to happen. So much of Andy, because Andy was so great at it, so much of the stuff that he did and that we did was improvisational. I mean, honest to God, I'll t tell you this. I never knew that Andy was going to lay there in the ring and ask for an ambulance and demand to go to the hospital <laughs> and spend three days in the hospital with his neck in traction after our match. Never knew that was going to happen. That's great. That's and, great. and so, uh, so, and then I didn't even speak to Andy for a while after that, you know, I mean, it was like, I'm, 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 I, I go home after the match. And of course everybody's talking about it. You know, the big Hollywood stars is, Jerry Lawler tries to break the guy's neck and he's in the hospital. His neck, he's in traction. It's all on the news and newspapers everywhere. And I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to believe it myself uh, because, you know, I didn't hear from Andy and I see these, I see these interviews with him. He's just laying there with his neck stretched out in traction in a hospital. So that's so much of Andy was, was like that. And it was just off the cuff, spur of the moment. And it, and it just always seemed to work with Andy. So what did you guys think? You, I, I know I met your dad um, once at the premiere of the, you know, of yes. the Man on the Moon movie. And, and I'll never forget, he came up to me and he said, Jerry, we, we just hated you for a long time because we thought you tried to break our son's neck. And it was, was, was crazy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that would just, he would just be speaking for he and his wife and then my mother, Janice. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because um, they, yeah, yeah, she, she's she been interviewed, I think, even on, on Letterman once. 
where um, you know when Andy went when he took his parents on David Letterman's show yes. to tell them for the first time ever that he loved them, <laughs> um, and uh, he had taken a workshop which told which taught you how to tell you people that you love them. Between you, me, and everyone listening, it wasn't the first time he had said that he loved them. Um, he had taken the workshop recently, but the word the "I love you" flowed very easily throughout the family. Um, so it was just Stanley and Janice who really could not get into the wrestling. Um, let me just go back for a second to childhood watching TV, wrestling on TV. Yeah. One night, one night, towards the beginning, it wasn't too far after the uh, buddy Ro- meeting Buddy Rogers, you know, on TV uh, that I read that Andy wrote. Um, maybe a couple of months later, Andy and I are on the bed imitating wrestling. We're on a twin bed where the black and white TV is right in front of us, you know, like six inches from the end of the bed. Right. And we're wrestling. And, An- and Andy says, and you might, um, these words might sound familiar, put me up. I'll let, I'll let you put me in a headlock. Oh, so my Andy had, I, I put Andy in a headlock. He had me put him in a headlock, which sounds very familiar to something that happened uh, like 26 years later um, with you. Right. Um, but anyway, so I must have twisted my, my, my torso with him in the headlock. Next thing I know, Andy's in traction for three weeks. He, oh, he, he's not in the hospital. He's at home. So now my, my memory, and I'm so young, but my memory is Andy in bed with his foot up in a, you know, almost like a, like a, like a sick, uh, an Abbott Costello comedy, you know, where his foot was up yeah. tied to a pulley. But, and he was there for three weeks. And Andy thinks that what made the pile driver so legitimate was that he had scar tissue from what I did to Andy that night, and that that gave it, that that had to get doctors say, well, yeah, we found something. Um, so it made it all more real. What, what, oh. what, when when you know he did it with you. Yeah, so, and, so, and, um, and Andy Andy told me later. I mean, you know, I was I was used to working with uh, every night working with these big tough rugged, you know, professional wrestlers who did this day in and day out. And and to us, when you take a back suplex, you know, you tuck your tuck your chin down your, and as long as you don't land right on your neck or your back of your head, you, you're fine. You take the you take the brunt of the blow with your shoulders. And, you know, it hurts a little bit, but it's not nothing bad or anything. Uh, and so I was thinking that that's a very safe move. And then, of course, I'd given a pile driver to uh, 500 different wrestlers, and, you know, never broke anybody's neck or never really seriously hurt anybody with it. So I was going to protect Andy and all that stuff. And and I was told him before the match, I said, you know, you won't get hurt. This will be fine. Because he was he was legitimately uh, concerned. You know, at first when I approached him with the idea of having the match with me, he wasn't he really wasn't sold on it. You know, he wanted to stick to wrestling women. And he was afraid he'd get hurt. And, of course, you know, there were concerns. He was doing taxi and insurance concerns and all this sort of stuff. But I had to assure Andy that he wouldn't get hurt. And then, of course, when I see him laying there after the match, I see him go to the hospital and and and, and lay there in traction. I'm, you know, he, he got it over on me as well. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And then later on, he did actually tell me, he said, 
I said, that stuff didn't really hurt you, did it? And he said, yeah, it did. He said, I got, he said, when you dropped me back on the back of my head, he said, I know you told me to tuck my chin. He said, but I, I guess I didn't or whatever. He said, I, he said, I was like knocked out for a minute or so. He said, I was, I was like unconscious. And he said, and then I said, well, the pile driver didn't hurt. He said, yeah, it did. So, I mean, I don't know if he was working me or, or what, but that he always told me that, but I guess, I guess not bad. But anyway, then, so I, you, I had never heard that. Yeah, yeah, that was just a, a conversation between he and I. But um, I mean, fact, go ahead. I was going to say what I got out of the whole thing was, you know, you even telling me that Andy was scared, was concerned, never, never flowed through to me. What I got from Andy is that he totally trusted you. Oh, he did, and, without yeah. a doubt. And yeah. then that was that was so funny because. That, that was something that he, he, he told me too. He said, look, he said, I'm just so happy to be doing this because I love wrestling so much. And he said, I don't want to, I'm, don't, I'm not trying to tell you anything. I don't want any input. He said, I'm just going to try to do what you want to do. He said, because you're the, you know, that's how much he respect he had for, for wrestling in general. It was, it wasn't like he, he just wanted to do it. He just wanted to be involved. He didn't, he wasn't trying to run the show or, or, or anything like that. He was just happy to be there. And, and he tried, he did, he trusted me explicitly. And, and, uh, like, like I said, he said, I mean, it, it didn't hurt him enough to have to go to the hospital or anything like that, but he, he did say it kind of, and, and, and I guess, you know, I just and the wrestlers take that for granted. Yeah, the stuff does hurt. Everything that you do, you can't pick somebody up over your head and slam them down onto a mat or shoot them in the air with a backdrop or jump off the top rope and land on somebody without it hurting. It does hurt, but but people just you know when you're in the business, it's, it's like being a football player or something. When you get tackled, that hurts, but you that's part of the game. You take it for granted, and so. That's that's the way that Andy realized it was. But did you guys at home, when you heard the news the next day, were you concerned? Did you think that Andy was really hurt? No, I was not. Um, and, and Andy called me from the hospital room. Um, oh. And and you know um, he was um, very soft spoken. Um, I must say, maybe he was still kind of dazed from uh, from what happened the night before. Um, he called me the next day, so it wasn't like I had to speak to him right away. Um, but, you know, I wanted to say, I was, as you were speaking, I was thinking that Andy, a guy who was totally creative and did his own thing um, and, and didn't like being on Taxi because it wasn't his creation, Right. he told, he told me that he, that, that he followed everything. You know, he took your lead and followed everything. He didn't try to create anything or, or suggest anything. He totally trusted you um, in your um, instincts for creating drama um, and, and, ju- and just doing the right doing the right thing for for the entertainment purposes. He totally trusted you and didn't have to in- interject any of his creativity, which just normally would just come so naturally to him. So just a, just another um, great. Um, compliment that he is giving you. Well, but but Andy's talent was because of the wrestling influence was so great. I'll never forget. He came back and we I, I brought him over to my house and you know back in the day we had I had one of those little camcorders 
you know, that you hold up the, yeah. the little yeah. VHS tape. And I sat Andy down in, in my in the front room of my house and and we made these we made these short interviews of that we could play each each week for the because there's going to be a few weeks before Andy could come back. So we needed yeah. it is being be on TV every Saturday. So we cut these different promos, and I'm sure you've seen some over the years about yeah. Andy yeah. doing the uh, 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 the hygiene tips to the people of the South with the toilet paper and the soap. Oh my gosh, he was he was classic on that. And all all I did there, I just gave him you know the the little general idea, and then Andy just went he just went off, and and they were so effective, they were so effective that after the third one. The station manager, the the manager of Channel Five there in Memphis, called us up and said, "Please, Jerry, don't play those Andy Kaufman interviews about or about hygiene anymore. We're getting so many. We he said all week long we're getting the, the switchboard is blowing up. People are complaining about it. Just one more time to thank Buddy Rogers and what Andy, you know, where where it all started for Andy." Thanks for listening to part one of an outstanding conversation between the King, Sean, and the brother of the late Andy Kaufman, Michael Kaufman. Part two will be available on Thursday. In the meantime, make sure that you head over to my bookie and use the promo code OVERTIME because you can double your first deposit and get up to $1,000 in free play. It'll add all kinds of excitement to your betting this NFL season. If you want to win big, my bookie is the place for that. You can bet on the Kings Browns. You can bet on Sean's Jets, although I don't really recommend that. I would bet against the Jets if you want to make money. But whatever bets you want to put in, whether it's on the games, whether it's on props, whether it's on futures, it's all available right at your fingertips at my bookie. And if you head over there now, use the promo code overtime. You'll double your first deposit and you'll get up to $1,000 in free play. Thanks again for listening to The Jerry Lawler Show. Make sure that you follow the show on Twitter, at Lawler Show, and follow The King on Twitter, at Jerry Lawler.